So I encourage you, whatever your dream is, to never give up. And always remember to stay true to who you are. There'll be fires along the way. So those fires can ignite the spark to the next season of your life. A very special week at Cooperstown honoring two former Blue Jays headed into the Hall of Fame. And we've got one of them. Fred McGriff, former MLB first baseman and 2023 Hall of Famer, the crime dog, joining us. Congratulations and thanks so much for coming on the show this morning. Uh, all good. It's a beautiful, beautiful day. <laughs> uh, it is. It is. Uh, is it a little relieving <laughs> that it's all over? I mean, there's a lot of anticipation, right? Like there's a lot of anticipation waiting for the call. There's a lot of anticipation waiting for your moment to address uh, the crowd there at Cooperstown, are you a little relieved? You can take the sigh of relief uh, that this is all done with and you're officially enshrined. You're a Hall of Famer, Fred McGriff. Oh, without a doubt, because once you uh, get the phone call and now you got seven months to think about uh, your speech, the whole scenario, <laughs> what's going to go on here and there. And so until you're actually there and you experience everything, um, it's a little stressful, <laughs> you know. So you then you got you got everybody in your ear telling you, "Oh yeah, Fred, just just do this. Just thank a few people here and there, and just go on with it, and just do what you do, and you know, you'll be all good." But still, it's a little stressful. What was that phone phone call like? Uh, I don't know if you were expecting it, if you're waiting around, if it just surprised you. Goes to voicemail, you call them back. <laughs> How does that work for you? Uh, well, they they give you a little heads up. <laughs> uh, that if you're uh, elected, they give you a call like 30 minutes before uh, it actually goes uh, on MLB Network. So you're you're there and you got your phone and just in case around. Um, for me, it was around 7:30 uh, back on uh, December 4th. So you just have your phone with you, and then when I when you see that where the call is coming from, then you uh, <laughs> you know what to expect. Yeah. So you mentioned seven months. You got to prepare a speech. Uh, how did that process go? What was it like delivering a speech? Was it more nerve-wracking delivering a speech than, let's say, digging in in a big spot or playing the field as a, as a major leaguer? Where did that rank in terms of the most nerve-wracking things you've done in your life? Oh, it ranked pretty high. And <laughs> because you, um, the thing about it, the Hall of Fame folks, they did a great job of. Uh, preparing me uh we had a rehearsal um i was i've been reading my speech for the last uh two months to somebody or even my or my wife or somebody and so you're you're practicing all that and so when i finally got up there it was kind of like oh, okay i mean i've you've practiced so much that you know you're ready you're ready for the moment uh but when it came to baseball i've, I've been playing baseball since i was seven years old you know, and so uh, and you go, you play the minor leagues, and then you get to the major leagues, and so you get into a routine. And so when you're playing, like if I played in the World Series, um, the first inning you may have butterflies until you uh, get a ground ball hit to you, or you have it in bat. But then after that, it's baseball. It's normal that you've been playing all your life. So uh, the speech is a lot tougher. 
Well, you nailed the speech. Mm -hmm. uh, one quote stuck out to me. I think it was your last line. Uh, I'll quote it for you. I encourage you, whatever your dream is, to never give up and always remember to stay true to who you are. There will be fires along the way. Those fires can ignite the spark for the next season of your life. Uh, if you were going to let us know which fire got you to the Hall of Fame, what was that? Like, what was the thing that sort of paved the way for you? What was the obstacle you overcame uh, that made you the major leaguer that you were? Uh, well, I think, you know, I got cut um, my sophomore year in school. That uh, that got me going a little bit. But I think in general, for me, uh, I was more of a late bloomer. And so uh, the Yankees uh, drafted me in the ninth round. And uh, so I wasn't a high pick. And so usually if you're a high pick, you pretty much, uh, you're guaranteed to get, to get up to the big leagues unless you just totally bomb out. You know, you're going to get every single opportunity. But when you're a ninth round pick, you have to scratch and claw for everything. But when the Blue Jays drafted me, I mean, when the Blue Jays traded for me uh, after my second year uh, in rookie ball, now all of a sudden you got you got some hope because when a team drafts you, I mean, when a team trades for you, usually uh, you know you're doing pretty good opportunity. And so just the Blue Jays drafted me and Pat Gillick and the guys, uh, and they gave me opportunity. And then – once up in the big leagues, now you start having a little bit of success and you start believing, hey, I can do this. You know, these, these guys in the big leagues are good, but you can, you can play with them. So you spent your career um, on a couple different teams, but for specifically with the Blue Jays early on. Uh, what was it about that, that team, that fan base, maybe the franchise that um, I guess helped you grow into the player you did become? And if there was any fond memories of your time wearing the blue and white, uh, what do you look back on most when you start to reflect of your Hall of Fame career? Uh, well, the Blue Jays, I mean, they gave me an opportunity that uh, – as a player, you always want, you want to make it up to the big leagues and so forth. And they gave me that opportunity and I played on a great team. And um, that was back when the Blue Jays were drawing 3 million fans a year. And so they're packing uh, the stadium where I first, I mean, exhibition stadium wasn't um, uh, 50,000 people. But once they got, once we moved into uh, the Sky Dome back then, uh, I mean, it was 50,000 people every night uh, yelling and screaming. And I had, had good teammates with George Bell and Barfield and Mosby. And what, what was great was that the Blue Jays hit me seventh and eighth. Me and Cecil Field hit seventh and eighth because we had good players in front of us. And so uh, we could relax and just – whatever we did was like a plus <laughs> because, you know, we had some pretty good players. And so just – the whole experience up in Toronto was awesome, and I always laugh, but they gave us those Honda Accords cars. They were uh, Honda Accords, and they had the Blue Jay emblem uh, on the side of the car. And so everywhere you went, you know, everybody, they, they know that's a Blue Jay player because he, he's driving around in this uh, Honda Accord car. <laughs> but it was just great. But just my whole experience, uh, the Toronto fans and the people in the city, were, they are always good to me. You hit the first ever home run at the Sky Dome. Remember that moment? Oh, yeah. Opposite field against uh, Don August. Uh, if I say, I know it's in August. Uh, yeah, but it was against uh, Don August for the uh, Milwaukee Brewers uh, opening night. <laughs> That's a pretty yeah. cool memory to have. Like, you're the first one to do that. And, uh, I mean, it's going to be one that lives forever uh, in the, the history of this building, which is obviously, as you said, changed to the Rogers Center now. But um, a pretty, pretty special 
moment. Um, I did want to ask you about the level of consistency that you held, though. You know, you started, as you mentioned, maybe a little bit rougher your career that you had wanted, but you end up going 19 seasons. You're the first player in history to hit 30-plus home runs with five franchises. So you had this level of production and consistency. So what was it that you that you that clicked that was working for you that you were able to do this sustained excellence that obviously got you to the Hall of Fame? Well, I think one, um, every player is striving for uh, consistency. This is tough because every every major league player can hit. They all can hit, but it's a, it's about trying to become consistent. And so that's the battle that every player faces all the time. I mean, you guys see it. One day you may see. Uh, I know they give Varshal uh, a little tough time, but one some days you see him play great, and then some days maybe not so great. But so for him, it's a matter of him getting um, becoming more consistent and so forth. And so that's always my goal. And so I started out in my second year. We made the playoffs, and I think I went 0 for 8 or something like that. And everybody was making a big deal. You know, Fred, he's 0 for 8 in the playoffs and everything because everything's so magnified uh, in the playoffs. If you go 0 for 8 during the season, uh, people don't say too much, but you do in the playoffs, you know, they really – really spotlight on you. And so after that second year, I told myself, man, Fred, you're going you're gonna to learn your mechanics, you're going to learn your routine, and you're, gonna, and you're just going to stick with it. And so that was my goal all the time, to have a routine that I would stick with and work on being consistent and uh, making a little adjustments. And I, and I just learned to I always look for a fastball uh, almost on every pitch, and then I try to adjust to everything else. And so no matter what team I played on, what league I played in, I just always looked uh, for a fastball, and I always, you know, because I always had I had to learn how to protect myself because you start hitting home runs, and then pitchers want to throw at you and throw way up and in on you. So uh, you got to protect yourself. 2023 Hall of Fame inductee Fred McGriff on the line with us. Uh, people were real fired up to see you, Fred. Uh, the, there was a raucous reaction when you were announced uh, on Hall of Fame Day, uh, but I'm sure you're pretty excited to see some others. Is there someone who stopped you in your tracks, a conversation you loved having, someone you loved catching up with uh, at Cooperstown? Uh, did you have any memorable interactions that you could share with us? Well, all the guys were great to me. You know, it's been some years since I've seen... Uh, a lot of the guys, but uh, like Dave Winfield, I hadn't really talked to him a lot uh, in my career, but we talked for like two hours uh, in the hotel, and he's like, oh, yeah, Fred, you know, we were similar hitters, except, you know, you hit from the left side, I hit from the right side, you stood off the plate, I was off the plate, and uh, we had a nice little mm-hmm. conversation, and I got a chance to talk to George Brett, and uh, I was trying to tell Brett that, because when I was coming up in the minors in um, – 84, 85 and everything, he killed the Blue Jays in the playoffs, you know, and so I was a big fan and because um, he had a great swing. He was, he was left-handed and so forth, and I patterned a little bit of my swing, releasing the, the, my uh, top hand of the bat off and everything. So I have an opportunity to uh, talk with him uh, a little bit. For the most part, uh, baseball has a lot of good, good people, man. Every once in a while you run into uh, – a bad guy, but for the most part, you have uh, good people. So having a chance to uh, just catch up with everybody, and um, and all, they're all telling me like, yeah, Fred, you know, next year you come back, and it's gonna be so much better. You know, 
you're not going to have any stress. You're just going to have a good time while you're here. <laughs> I'm like, okay, guys, but right now, you know, then you know the old saying, like, you can't let them see you sweat. There you go. <laughs> so, so, yeah, yeah. So you're like, oh, I'm cool. I'm good. All right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an underrated part of it. You get to go back every year now and, uh, you know, give it to the guys who actually have to go up there and deliver uh, a speech. So you yeah. went in with Scott Rowland, of course, big Blue Jays ties with this Hall of Fame class, yourself and Scott. Was it cool going in with uh, Scott Rowland? Were you able to catch up with him as well? Yeah, you know, and Scott, you know, like we talked, but uh, Scott played the game the right way and he played hard and he, we always laugh. I was telling him how, you know, when Scott hit a home run, I mean, he just sprinted around the bases. You know, he uh, he was uh, he was just a hard-nosed player and everything. And so I told him that we're bonded at the hip. I told him, like, Scott, we're brothers now, you know. <laughs> so uh, and so it was cool meeting his family and whole experience because we're both in the same boat in the sense where, you know, he, he, he's stressed out on his speech. And uh, so we're both having to, you know, just contain your emotions a little bit and I was laughing because once I gave my speech and then I sat down, I'm like, I whispered to him like, Scott, you're all right, man. You know, ain't, ain't no problem. It's easy, man. Piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Fred, uh, a really important stretch here for the Blue Jays moving forward. I think they could use um, some additions. You still have it. You Are you interested in a comeback? We could start the uh, campaign now. We could have you back in the blue and white. <laughs> uh, you want to get back out there? We can make it happen. Oh, I would, I would love to. But, you know, the thing about it is uh, I looked at the standings the other day and so forth, and um, I know the Orioles are in first place now, but in the loss column, the Blue Jays are like uh, three or four games in back, maybe three games now in back to the, uh, the, uh, the Rays. So if they just continue to uh, play better, they, they they have a chance because mm-hmm. I tell people, when I got traded to Atlanta Braves, we were, we were ten games out of first place at the All Star break. So all you got to do is try to make up a game a week. You don't have to you don't have to like go on this ten game winning streak or whatever. You just have to play better, pick a game, pick up a game a week on on the Blue Jays. I mean on the Orioles and uh, Rays, and then you catch them by the end of the year. So it's not really panic mode. It's just about everybody. Uh, being more consistent, like I was saying, um, Farshow uh, has to get going because he's a he'll be a big addition, and um, just Guerrero has really uh, play. All those guys have to really uh, come together down the stretch, and so uh, they have a chance. So you're World Series champion. Um, there's a specific like DNA that I think a team probably needs to have when you face adversity, when you face really important games that you need to win. Is there something that, you know, in the makeup of the teams that are successful, that they just have it, whether it's the camaraderie, whether it's the accountability or the joy of baseball, something that this Blue Jays team or a team that does want to be a World Series champion this year has got to find? Yeah, well, you know, you got to have usually uh... – on a championship team, everybody has a career year for the most part, and everything goes right. <laughs> when you need a double play, they get it. When when they need you the big hit, they get it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what it's going to take uh, coming down the stretch. I know that uh, the pitch, the bullpen has kind of been um, a little so-so at times uh, for the Blue Jays this year, and they've lost some uh, late-inning games. 
And so really just getting uh, those guys together. But I was thinking, you know, it's kind of like the way baseball is these days. Uh, everybody's bullpen is going to be burnt <laughs> because nowadays the starters only go uh, two times around the uh, order. Um, so bullpens, pitchers, starting pitchers out of the game by the fifth inning. And now uh, everybody's using their bullpen. And now they have the their, the opener where the reliever starts the game and then the starters come in. So <laughs> at the end of the year, it's, it's kind of going to be like whoever can just, you know, just get it wherever they can in their bullpen or the September call-ups can help them out. Those are the teams that's going to um, have a chance. But it's, it helps that the scheduling this year, the Blue Jays only got to play the Yankees 12 times and the Red Sox 12 times. And so they can, mm-hmm. they can play teams in the American League Central and so forth and get some wins that way. So it's a lot better. The, this new scheduling is a lot better for everybody. It's more fair for everybody. Playing the Yankees and Red Sox 19 times and the Rays 19 times wasn't very fair because the teams in the Central, the, the Twins and teams like that, they were just beating up on um, uh, teams in their division. And so for the last four or five years, the Twins just walk into uh, the playoffs. But now uh, it's going to be a little different for them. Yeah, Blue Jays need to find a way to uh, get some wins against the AL East. But they, uh, but they do have a little bit of a buffer, as you mentioned, playing a couple other teams a bit more frequently. Uh, Fred, we appreciate you coming on after a pretty busy week. Congratulations on your Hall of Fame induction. Hard-earned, uh, much-deserved. And we will chat with you later. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much. That's the crime dog, Fred McGriff, former MLB first baseman, Hall of Fame inductee just this past Sunday at Cooperstown. Yeah, Cooperstown crowd pleaser for sure. Everyone was fired (laughs) up when Fred McGriff was getting called to the stage when he was uh, delivering his speech. Uh, It seems like uh, he's a guy who's well-liked and it's pretty obvious when you talk to him. Oh, an absolute wonderful wonderful guy and had a wonderful career with the Blue Jays, a shorter one, but um, nonetheless had a 19 year career in MLB and was well-respected and is now enshrined forever in the hall of fame. So great to chat with him. Um, And I loved that quote when the fire is burning one. Yeah. I think you're going to get scripture tatted on the rib. (laughs) Why is that funny? The crime dog inspired (laughs) Where, do you have it? Where is it? It was it was in the dock. Uh, yeah. It disappeared. I got rid of it. It was after really special. Delivering it to the I crime. I thought it dock. was nice. Uh, officially, the path is harder for Canada at the World Cup. Mm. Of course, they were winners yesterday versus the Republic of Ireland, but Nigeria beat Australia today. So, in the third and final game in the group stage, Monday early morning, Canada needs a result. They need points. They needed either a win or a draw to advance uh, or get some serious, 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 serious help from Ireland. So, uh, yeah, big game against the host city or host nation, I suppose, in Australia, Canada's path of the World Cup. This morning, a little bit more difficult than it was expected to be. Yeah, I really thought that it was going to be, like I was watching this game, Nigeria and Australia, obviously live, and I was getting excited that Nigeria was beating Australia, but then I didn't think of the tiebreak issues that we might have to face and it's going to be a little bit harder for Canada on Monday, but we'll have uh, some time to tee that up. Monday, 6 a.m. start against the host nation. I guess if we're doing a half glass or glass half full, excuse me, I think it'll be a little bit easier to win the group now. I mm-hmm. guess the win would have got you there anyway, but I think in a draw scenario, maybe they can win the group. And so winning what- the group, is that an easier opponent? I forget if they if like the USA's looming or England's looming. There's one it's situation. Tough e- it's tough either way, but ideally... 
you know, you're not playing, you're not coming second in the group and playing the team that survived or won uh, the adjacent group. So yeah, that obviously benefits you winning the group. And if they beat Australia, that should be the case. Okay. (sighs) Or could be the case. Big win yesterday from Team Canada. Hopefully they can carry that momentum from the second half. All right, let's do a wake and rake on this baby Friday. Wake up! Now it's time for wake and rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money! With Ailish and Justin. Okay, two for three yesterday. Let's get a win. Shall I kick things off? Yes. It's a tough night. In the sports betting Uh, landscape, it was a lot like last week and the week before, actually, when there were no sports happening, but I'm going to the 3M Open. I'm going to the final uh, group that's getting on the course Mm -hmm. at the 3M Open with Ludwig Aberg. That's my guy. Your guy. I'm going with your guy. Ludwig Aberg is going to beat Peter Quest and Ryan Gerard on the three-way money line because he is better than Peter Quest. And Ryan Gerard. Gerard actually played pretty well at the Barracuda last weekend, but he was playing the Barracuda where Ludwig Aberg is maybe the next star in the making. His time is, if not this weekend, soon. So Aberg gets a good start to his tournament, plus 110, three-way money line to have a better score today than Peter Quest, Pete Quest, and Ryan Gerard. Okay, uh, let me lock that in there. Do you mind reading our anchor submissions while I figure out what I'm going to pick because 100%. I kind of forgot about this. So. 100%. You didn't have to admit that. No, it's uh, Okay, honest. first text. We have three texts. Uh, you, Cy Kikuchi. Woo. Morning, Ailish. And Justin, it's Will from Niagara. Wake and rake for today. Time to fade Otani before he slides through T.O. Show under strikeouts. Eight is a bit much. He hasn't been the best pitcher of late. That is true. Have a great day. Have a great day as well. Will from Niagara. So under eight strikeouts for show. Hey, Otani. Uh, morning, Justin Ailish. Verlander hit Kikuchi. Hit. Let's go for three. Otani over 1.5 bases. Career, Chris. So Shohei is getting some love early. And good morning, Corey from Port, Port Hope here. Excuse me for my wake and rake pick today. I'll take Otani over seven and a half strikeouts. Uh-oh. I think he's going to have a great game knowing that they're relying on him big time to make that playoff push. So it is Otani. It is good, bad, or ugly Otani. Uh, I guess we have to go with the hits because we have two competing spots here and uh, if we take bases we avoid having a full out brawl in the text line so over otani bases okay. is the pick while you find your pick I got it. for today over in the cubs and cardinals this evening um both teams put up over 10 runs yesterday their offense have been pretty dialed uh they're now playing they weren't playing each other yesterday but they will be playing in a three-game series You're here, doing over. For, Sorry, I'm going over in With the Cubs. Justin Steele on the bottom. Over in the Cubs and the Cardinals. Okay. Yep, and it's seeing it at eight and a half. So I'll be placing that bet now. And you have your Aberg. Aberg and three-way we'll, money line plus one ten. What was our next one again? Shohei over, over bases. bases. Shohei over bases. Shohei over bases, and that's a, in the first game. A potpourri of picks today. In the first game, does it matter? They play two games today. Uh, uh, the one that he was pitching in, I think, was the one that uh, got it. Uh, probably we have lines for more accurately. Yes. Okay, got it. Uh, it's a profitable wake and rake. Uh, Shohei over bases in game one. Overruns in Cubs and Cardinals and uh, Ludwig Aberg in the three-way is plus 640. <laughs> Not enthusiastic about that pick? 640. Plus 640. Get enthusiastic about it. Plus 640 no, I, on I'm today's pumped wake about and it. He's my on guy. On a baby Friday. I put him in my Fanex picks this week for the 3M. You can get that at the earlier hour of the show. We went through those, and hopefully Justin can hit some of these long shot bets that he's put in. It's plus 110. It's not that long. No, I mean your picks for the weekend. Oh, you're cheering for me? 
I hope you get one because I just I wanted to we be a bit more competitive. We need a little drama down the stretch. We do. We can make picks for I mean Evian Championship. We could we could you know get real going. aggressive. Any yeah. golf event anywhere we can take picks from, and I can That's just true. take all the plus one hundreds. That's true. All right, Baby Friday on the Fan Morning Show. No Blue Jays in action tonight. They start their three game series against the Angels tomorrow. We'll have all that and more on Friday morning. Have a great day. Unrivaled insight, analysis, and opinions on all things Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's always a treat when you can pull Nick Kiprios off of... Nantucket's beaches and <laughs> Montauk. Montauk. And he's probably wearing a white linen shirt at 8 a.m. Linen parties. Linen parties. And our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Kipper, vacay Kipper. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Yeah, it's all quiet now. I peaked. <laughs> yeah. Peaked at uh, Sag Harbor. Mm, that's so now right. Now we're just kind of. Mellowing it out in places like Collingwood. Oh, so it's you all downgraded big time, eh? I did. I did. Uh, you yeah. couldn't even get a Lake Joe appearance. You had to go to Collingwood. Yeah, uh, a little, little quieter for me. Feel like Col- I feel like Collingwood's having a moment, though. I think you might be, you're always ahead of the curve, but I feel like <laughs> everyone's going to be in Collingwood soon. And then you'll Love be on it. to somewhere new. Yeah, no, it's a great spot for sure. It's Toronto North. Uh, uh, great people up there and uh, highly recommend it for sure. Okay. Well, we know where in the world Nick Kiprios is. Uh, Matt Murray, we have news. We have news officially um, will be placed on LTIR to yeah. start this upcoming season. A conclusion, but still a lot of questions, um, I'm sure, that we'll go through there in terms of like what happened here. But yeah. was this the best case scenario for the Maple Leafs? For everybody, mm-hmm. uh, Ailish. Uh, you know, I think. Uh, you know, first first of all, I, you know, I, I, I think I may have mentioned it on even your show a while back, but uh, like, how does long term IR come out of into play when a guy finishes on the bench mm. uh, at the end of the playoffs? And certainly had a summer where he was anticipating you know, starting in September and October. He was skating and he was training, but I think what happened was. Everybody started reading the tea leaves here, and there was no marketplace for Matt Murray. So I think they just came to the conclusion on both sides that uh, they probably need to buy themselves a little bit of time here. And the best way to do that is by going on long-term IR. And uh, the one thing that Matt Murray's able to do on on his side is protect a second window buyout uh, to protect an $8 million base salary. And uh, you don't want that bought out if you're sitting at home with no job opportunity. So, and I'm not saying that uh, that there isn't an injury. Uh, you know, don't don't kind of mm-hmm. twist what I'm saying here. Uh, I, I think there's wear and tear for sure in his history. His health issues on his side are well documented, and if you search long enough you can find certainly something that uh, <laughs> i think on most players but matt murray maybe especially but this is you know to answer your question alish it, it's a it's a it's a good move for matt murray it's a good move for the for the toronto maple leafs and their salary cap and most of all it's it's good news for 
you know, your show and the fans that listen to it, that, uh, <laughs> they, they, they don't have to sweat it out thinking, uh, you know, their, their team's getting stripped down or they're going to be giving up a, a second rounder to get rid of him and, you know, all the negative uh, vibes that come with that. So the incentive then is to protect the salary, which would have been paid out. I, I don't know exactly what the rules are in terms of buyout, but uh, Matt Murray wouldn't be left out in the cold just because they bought him out. No, uh, there would be you, some you, financial settlement there. You would have lost millions on a buyout. It would have been millions? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that, that that answers the question in terms of incentive, right? Because if it's either that or, hey, got to go on long-term IR, and we don't have to make things up because there's probably something uh, that you can roll with. But, you know, uh, part of the conversation around the Leafs has always been like, okay, you're held to a different standard, whether it's bringing referees out to a training camp or opening facilities or what have you. So do you expect there to be some uh, investigation here with Matt Murray, given that this guy did say he was healthy and ready to go? And I don't know if he's been, uh, you know, injured... <laughs> in his free time but uh things certainly have changed at least the tune yeah justin that's a you know that's a fair question for sure and to answer it uh, i don't expect anything and you know it's it's hard out there it's hard for a lot of teams contending teams and there seems seems to be some leniency you're right towards maybe uh a a toronto a, a rangers just for the sole purpose that you know these guys carry a lot uh, in terms of the league and the revenue that there's generated. And uh, I'm not saying that the league, the league will turn, you know, the other cheek on, on anything that, that goes on. But I am saying that there's such a gray area when it comes to injuries and what you're able to prove and what you're not able to prove. And it's hard out there. And they, you know, from a league's perspective, you don't want to see a, a top, market like toronto an important market like that continue to get stripped and and the fan base screaming you know a bloody murder here so like i said it's such a gray area with injuries on what you can prove and what you can't prove and you know at, at the end of the day i i think i think they're okay with this and you know could there be a scenario justin where ottawa or detroit who are battling for playoff positions in the same division have a problem with it and they and they go to the league and say you know I demand an investigation that's a possibility but this time next year 2 years from now Detroit Ottawa may need a scenario where they <laughs> uh they 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 need long term IR relief and uh uh you know what's good for the goose as they say uh uh, that could be a scenario as well for for other teams. So I don't expect uh, any type of investigation. I, I expect people to say uh, Matt Murray's had a long history of health issues, and uh, and this may be just uh, another one of them. And again, whether we're talking about a guy that's fifty percent, forty percent, thirty percent, eighty five percent, there's something there that's bothering Matt Murray, um, and. All this does is buy him a little bit more time in a market where he may not have uh, work available. Now, saying that also, guys, uh, come November, you know, he watches the marketplace and mm. four teams are struggling with their goalie and they want to do something differently and he's out there. Now, guess what? I'm ready to come off. Or feel, feeling limber all of a sudden. I'm feeling limber right now. I'm ready to go. So maybe you and the Leafs can work something out. My cap hit 
and, and the money has shrunk significantly, maybe by November, November, December, and we see Matt Murray moved. Yeah, I wonder if that's part of the equation here where, uh, you know, they discuss this, they discuss past moving forward, and if there's an opportunity to move him, uh, they will jump at that opportunity, and maybe it doesn't cost them uh, what it has cost before to dump a goaltender. I do wonder, though, you say, you know, incentive here for Matt Murray. You say he's losing millions, and that, of course, is the case. But does he, is this short-sighted in that he craters future earnings? I mean, this guy's only 29 years old. I guess you got to get the bird in hand, right? You got to get it while you can. But if he doesn't play hockey this year, I mean, what, what chance is there that he's going to make any money in this league ever again? Yeah. Another really good point. And, you know, the other case scenario is Justin, he does get bought out. And if he gets bought out, that's two teams, Ottawa and Toronto within what a year Mm. that basically kick you to the curb and there's a lot of there's there there's a feeling and, and i'm sure you know matt's would have felt this as well if if i get bought out uh from the leafs like maybe my career's over completely and no one will touch me so maybe this is a better scenario where again he can buy himself a little bit of time here and be in a situation where he works himself back up through October and November and he gets himself ready it's a half a season people teams are more opt to maybe take a chance on him with 40 50 games to go instead of a long season you know there, he, there are times when he played well he did he was he was uh you know just you know within a whisker of of staying healthy and and maybe contemplating being the number one goalie uh, in the first round. I mean, he had what three significant injuries, uh, an ankle injury, I believe, uh, mm. uh, the concussion uh, that that some goofball skated through the crease and creamed him. I can't even remember who, but like, <laughs> if 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 he found a way to stay healthy, I, I don't think a lot of people uh, sat there and said he can't play or he's no good so he's got that going for him that maybe on a short window in the season if he comes off uh, long term that somebody will say i I just need him for a a short window here and uh i'm willing to take a chance so again i think this was his best case scenario in a marketplace where he couldn't find work today Maybe the end of the story for now, but uh, stay tuned because, as you said, there could be some changes later in the season if that's uh, the route that he goes, and Maple Leafs might be able to uh, officiate that. Um, okay, so Samsonov also may be the best-case scenario for both teams if you're going into a one-year arbitration and the cap hit, or is that pending more future issues as he becomes a UFA um, after this upcoming season? <laughs> it's just it's it's just par for the course that <laughs> Leaf fans have one player on the roster who's betting on himself to get the heck out of town, right? (laughs) So, um, you know, Hyman, uh, you know, Jack Campbell, Mm -hmm. and it just seems like uh, Samsonov will be the the, the flavor of the year in terms of uh, a one-year deal and and, uh, and thinking that uh, he's going to outprice himself uh, in the first week and a half, two weeks when he's – Posting a 952 <laughs> save percentage and everybody's screaming, he's going to want six and a half million next year, and the Leafs can't afford that. But uh, it, it is what it is. Uh, I I really thought that there was a chance that the, they could come up on a on a two year deal, but 
Samsonov looks at his numbers. He looks around the league and he says, guys of my stature uh, can make $5 million with their eyes closed now. So uh, no question that he is he's banking on having another good year with 50-plus uh, uh, appearances and solid numbers and maybe a, another first-round win that would certainly solidify anything uh, between five and maybe even six and a half, depending on how much success he has. And it, uh, it's a place where the Leafs were not willing to, to go anytime, uh, you know, this summer. And it is what it is. Factor in uh, uh, Wall, and there's there's your guy uh, that's that's being groomed uh, for the next three four years, no question. Okay, so with Matt Murray's decision, uh, the collective decision for LTIR, the Maple Leafs are a little closer to being uh, close to the cap, but still expected to be two millions two million dollars over now. So there's a lot of like conversation about TJ Brody and if that's a real thing that the Maple Leafs might move off of. But uh, what do you think is the next ripple effect uh, with the fact that they still got to make a couple couple decisions here with the, the cap being uh, closer, but still not fully there? Yeah. Well, the, the focus for sure has to be the blue line for Brad Tree Living, and it depends on how much you want to sink your, you know, your your thought process into a Carlson situation. But there is the thought that, uh, you know, they're they're exploring that, they're knocking on that door a little bit here. But I just, I don't understand the the Klingberg, you know, four four million on a one year deal, and then going after Carlson. Uh, for sure, you'd have to get rid of Brody's, you know, one year left. But uh, does anybody see a, a scenario where it's Carlson, Klingberg, and Lilligren on the right side of your blue line? Um, I don't. So um, we'll we'll have to see what what shakes up. But it, it's it's not big enough. It's not strong enough. We've had this conversation time and time again, and uh, it's something that. Uh, uh, Brad Tree Living's trying to address right now, but uh, he's going to have to find a way to sh- to 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 have a different look. Uh, and I'm I'm not sure. Again, the the market's so dry right now; it's so hard to move money. It's so hard to move players right now. This is this this isn't a uh, a uh, uh, four eight twelve week process. This is a uh, something that'll go right to the trade deadline in terms of ultimately having a different feel maybe on that blue line. It's a long-term project right now for, for Brad Tree living between now and the trade deadline. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if, you know, he can't be a placeholder, but yeah, a true living defense that uh, features a Carlson Klingberg Lilligren on the right side, that doesn't look or smell like a true living uh, style defense core. Yeah. I, I wonder if there's a placeholder thing there. I wonder if that's possible with Klingberg. Cause I'm just still not convinced uh, that that's something he wants to see or Leafs fans will want to see uh, in a playoff series. Okay. So the last time we talked to you or before we talked to you last, uh, Sheldon Keefe got new assistants, uh, Guy Boucher and Mike Van Ryan. Guy Boucher is interesting because he placed second, uh, reportedly to Mike Babcock way back in 2015 in the head coaching race yeah. that was run by, uh, Brendan Shanahan. Uh, do you ever hear the story where, where Guy Boucher was in the building at Scotiabank upstairs while, uh, thinking that he was going to get the job? Well, tell us that story. What? Yeah. Tell <laughs> oh, us. Yeah. Yeah. Guy Boucher was, uh, uh, Everybody thought he had the job 
just prior to Mike Babcock uh, being announced, and uh, he was in town. And at the very last second, uh, Brendan Shanahan found a way to get Mike Babcock here. And Ooh, that sucks for him. We're, we're moving in a different direction now. I don't know in terms of where they were on a contract mm. or what was promised or any of that, but I just know it was. Uh, the story goes that it was an extremely awkward situation. <laughs> so good for Guy Boucher for uh, uh, years later finding a job to uh, uh, finding a way uh, to, to end up uh, ultimately behind a, a leaf bench. Yeah, the call ID said uh, Babcock M <laughs> while <laughs> Boucher was in, in the office. Uh, are you surprised then that Guy would come back? I mean, it makes sense that Shanahan was interested in this coach a long time ago and circles back. Um, but this feels like a Shanahan hire rather than, hey, Sheldon Keefe, go pick your assistants. No, no, for sure. Uh, absolutely. And listen, I mean, in many ways, you can sit there and say Sheldon's very fortunate to get a, another opportunity. Uh, I, I, for one, didn't see a, a scenario where uh, Dubas leaves and Sheldon stays. Uh, that one, you know, caught me off guard as well. Uh, but as far as Sheldon's concerned, I mean, he's... He's playing with house money right now, uh, coming back as a head coach. So, I mean, the least of your thoughts should be, I get to pick my own assistant uh, coaches, but Guy Boucher comes in with a ton of experience. He's got uh, a really, really strong reputation for being this motivational type of guy who can, you know, cap capture a room. And again, it remains to be seen how much Sheldon will, will ask or rely on on that part, um, but I would assume that he will get his opportunities to address the team in, in that fashion. Um, and listen again, it, you, you hate to say it, you know, but if if there's any hiccups during the, mm -hmm. the regular season and you feel like the team isn't responding properly, uh, there's there's no question that that Guy Boucher slides right in. Yeah, I think that was like my second thought process when I saw this. Oh, these guys are are pretty well established enough that maybe that card in Brad Trey Living's back pocket, if it is played sometime down in the season, obviously, you know, Sheldon Keefe doesn't have a long-term future set at this point. It's saving that card that you might have to play. You kind of have the next in line already there. I wonder how that might change like the, the relationship or the power or the control that Sheldon Keefe does give not that he's going to be thinking about his job over the success of the team but I, I i do think you probably feel that the leash is a little shorter than it was last year i, I think that was the the basis all along mm. uh Eilish, that uh this is a really uh you know this is a season where it, there's a tremendous fork in the road uh with the toronto maple leafs and i think it starts at the at the top of uh, Brendan Shanahan, there's no question he's had a uh, a long run here and a, a, a very long leash. Uh, but, you know, from from Brendan's perspective, you know, if this if this season once again turns a little sour uh, at the very end, um, you know, where are you with Brendan Shanahan? And then the trip, the trickle effect, uh, you know, Sheldon Keefe got a second chance if he's not able to 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 do the things that they're hoping, you know, where's his stance? Do you go to Guy Boucher? Well, how do you say you go, go to Guy Boucher or, or we, even where Brad Treat living is uh, this time uh, next year if if there's needs to be changes at the very top? So 
I, I, I think it's easy for us to say that uh, we can connect the dots and say that, uh, you know, Guy Boucher sliding in and this will happen and they'll get rid of this guy or that guy. But um, until until you know definitively who's who's uh, steering uh, the ship, you know, this time next year, I think all bets are off. Yeah, it seems contingencies are in place. Uh, I don't know about a Guy Boucher power play. I'm not sure how that's going to look. Uh, I guess it comes down to the talent more so than the coaching, of course. But uh, yeah, I was a little surprised when I heard that Guy Boucher is going to be running the power play in Toronto moving forward. Okay, so Sebastian Ajo signs a big deal with the Carolina Hurricanes. I believe it was yeah yesterday. Uh, just a shade under $10 million. Of course, maximum turn. That's how it's done everywhere but Toronto, it seems. Uh, does the Aho deal mean anything to the Nylander negotiations? Kevin? Oh, there's there's no question from the Leafs side that, uh, you know, you bring that up and you remind the Nylander camp that $72 million over eight years is, uh, is a great number and you should take it now. But I, I don't get that sense at all. Um, and, you know, with the cap going up significantly this time next year, you know, there's a sense that uh, it'll be a much different marketplace than it is now when he's got that one-year buffer zone. And I just get the sense, uh, Justin, that they're, they're going to use it. And, you know, is there an opportunity if he scores 40-plus goals or, or flirts around 100 points that he can get himself up towards 11, 11 and a half million? I, I, I get the sense that he's willing to take that chance. Uh, now, does that mean the Leafs need to go to 11 now? I don't think so. Um, but I do believe that it is north of 10 that is the issue here. So I don't see much progress. I, I do see them, you know, certainly using the Ajo contract as, a, as an example. Uh, but I, I don't think there, there, there's, we're going to see any change of direction anytime soon. And, you know, the other hope is that it follows a, a Pasternak scenario with the Boston Bruins last year where he didn't sign till uh, much later in the season. Um, maybe there's an opportunity there for, for the Leafs and Nylander to, uh, to bridge a deal. Naturally, the next uh, pressure point, maybe the first pressure point is uh, Austin Matthews. And I, I know you're, you were on J.D. Bunkus's show the other day and you mentioned that he'd be looking around like a $13.5 million dollar price point uh, any updates and just like with the holdup is there yeah, or anything no, going on <laughs> no there's nothing there um come on kipper tell again, him to hurry up <laughs> I, it, it, ter, term will dictate exactly where mm -hmm. that that aav lies mm -hmm. um but you know it, it's 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 tricky uh you know when you when you start pushing north of 13 5 uh it puts a ton of pressure points on on Austin personally, and then also the Leafs to managing uh, uh, the cap in the next two years. So, uh, you know, this one's just going to have to wait it out as well. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I if there's the thought that Nylander could go into January or February or the trade deadline, uh, I, I'd hate to see this fan base uh, without an Austin Matthews decision. Uh, say come training camp, like mm -hmm. training camp or, or to start the season. Uh, we'll have plenty to talk about <laughs> on our hits. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. We sure will Kipper. I uh, appreciate you jumping off the yacht to chat with us yeah. this morning and uh, enjoy a little bit of quiet time until things really pick up. I will. And looking forward to our, our next session. 
Awesome. Like, uh, I'm on a couch right now, and <sighs> you guys are are my shrinks. Oh, well, <laughs> we feel the same way. <laughs> Thanks, okay, Kipper. Have a great day. You as Bye. well. That's Nick Kiprios, former NHL forward and coach of Real Kipper and Born. Little and... two way therapy there. Yeah, that's it's going back. Do and we forth. feel better? I don't know. I, I do think there's a dramatic effect thing. Our insider. Brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence <laughs> online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. I think there might be a little bit of a dramatic effect thing happening. First day of training mm. camp. The golden boy, <sighs> 13 and a half, gave up a couple million for the fan base of Toronto. Maybe, maybe so, if you want to spin it that way. I, I think, again, there's a reason why we're not sweating that one. The Nylander one does feel more like the Pasternak thing, though. From one winner to another winner, how about that? Fred McGriff, the crime dog, is going to join us after the break. Uh, Hall of Famer, inducted just a couple days ago, and it was a rousing ovation. Clearly, they were pretty fired up. Clearly, beloved to hear from the crime dog. He is a he's a he's a celebrity, former Blue Jay, and now enshrined forever in the Hall of Fame. We'll chat with him after the break on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.